CTBK is more than just a full-service accounting firm. They are one team with an innovative approach to accounting and rise to each new challenge with collaborative problem-solving skills. CTBK goes above and beyond by lending helping hands in the Buffalo and Niagara communities through volunteer work and donations and has partnered up with Victory Sports for 2022 to help keep kids in the community active. The professionals at CTBK are determined to help individuals and businesses succeed. Whether a large corporation, a small business, or somewhere in between, call CTBK at 716-630-2400 and see what CTBK's one-team approach can do for you. Welcome to another edition of Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and business consultants. I'm Tim Graham of The Athletic here with my co-host Jonah Bronstein of the New Bronstein Times. And uh, this is our first podcast since the end of the Bills season. Took How you doing? How, you, how are you processing the loss? How am I holding up? Well, I haven't really been able to decompress yet. Um the Athletic had me writing um, some other things. I had a story about Dominic Hasek uh, that posted today regarding his placement in our NHL 99 all-time player rankings. He comes in at number seven and the highest rated goaltender um, in our list. And I think that's worthy. He's always been my answer for the greatest goalie of all time. And that wasn't always the case. Uh, when I started covering the Sabres, there was that missing Stanley Cup part of his resume, which is so important for uh, any discussion about the all-time this or the all-time that. Patrick Waugh had some. Martin Brodeur had some. Dominic Hasek didn't have any, despite all his Vezinas and Hart trophies. Uh, but then he went on to win one as a starter and one as a backup with the Detroit Red Wings. So that kind of um, completed that career arc. And, oh, there also was the Olympic gold medal in 1998, which he already had, but people weren't willing to necessarily give him full marks for that. He had to have the Stanley Cup. So with our panel selecting the greatest players uh, in hockey history, Dominic Hasek, uh, came in at number seven. Um, I'd be honored if you go check that story out. I thought it turned out pretty well. And then uh, doing some stuff on the uh, conference championship games on Sunday. I've been dabbling with a few other things. So it's not as though I've just uh, dropped away from football or from the job. How are you handling uh, the fact that you're no longer covering the Buffalo Bills in the 2022 campaign, Jonah? I think I'm doing okay with it, um, personally. And if you really go back to that game, but my job for the Associated Press was to cover the Bengals locker room, and Eli Apple blew cigar smoke in my face, and it was kind of a festive scene. I'm still riding that high, that buzz. Are you? <laughs> okay. Joe Burrow um, and his Seinfeld pants in the locker room. and Who was? Joe Burrow, he had who wins this, like, or he doesn't win the award, but he's known as, like, the most fashionable quarterback in the NFL or up there. And then he's leaving, and he's got these, like, pajamas, really, that are, like, Seinfeld-branded sweatpants and a pink sweatshirt. And I didn't I It's didn't a post-game outfit, but... Did yeah. that make it into your copy? It didn't, but it was a thing on Twitter, and it made it in my emails to the Associated Press, like, hey, you might want to be on alert for this. I missed that. 
I was too busy writing about the the bill season coming to a a thudding end. How have you digested the way the bill season ended, Jonah? I know we're being uh, wise guys here, but with ten points against the Cincinnati Bengals at home, um discussion out there as to whether they hit an emotional wall if the emotional wall exists if they were just outplayed if it was the coaching uh with Sean McDermott uh unprepared uh is Leslie Frazier too old and has the game passed him by is Ken Dorsey um too inexperienced to get the job done after weeks and months of Bills fans and the media touting these guys as pretty damn good well, I think all of those things that you mentioned are factors. It was a bad game and a bad loss, bad performance on both sides of the ball and a bad loss and season ending at home, first time losing a home playoff game in many, many years and only the second time in history doing so. And if you look at the the progression or lack of progression over the years in their playoff losses, they lost in the AFC Championship game, then they lose a overtime nail-biter in the divisional round. Now this is a blowout loss at home in the divisional round. So in just that data point, it looks like a team that's stalling or slightly regressing. But then if you zoom out and look at the whole season, the emotional toll that was taken with the DeMar Hamlet situation and other kind of micro situations looking back, but with the weather and the moving things around and all the different odd weeks and, and little challenges that this team had to go through and the physical toll of the many different injuries, Von Miller being out, players playing hurt. Jordan Poyer really looked like a player who was playing through an injury that limited his performance against the Bengals, Josh Allen and his elbow, uh, too many injuries to name them out, itemized. Like the whole team was banged up more so than you'd expect a regular NFL team to be. And they still had a 13-win season. And before the playoffs, all of their losses were very close. One possession, one play could have determined the outcome. There's a way you could look at them like they were the best team in the NFL. A lot of power rankings had them that way going into the playoffs and it ended with their, maybe their worst game of the season. So it depends. If you look at the, if you evaluate the totality of the season, I think the bills had a great season and an unlucky season and things got in the way of them realizing their potential. But if you go on some of the words of Sean McDermott of you are what you were in your last game of the season, if the bills really take that evaluation to heart, then there's some soul searching to do and how do you get better and how do you match up better with the Bengals? Cause it seems like they could have lost twice to them if they had played that other game to completion. And how does the bills, cause it had been about being better than the chiefs for so long. Now it's about being as good or better than the Bengals and the chiefs. And how does that change the roster structure and the challenge ahead for the bills? Or you just run it back with a team that up until that game might've been the best team in the NFL from start to finish. Yeah, it's um, that's the conversation that we're going to be having, obviously, for the uh, coming months. And we'll learn what the Bills think of themselves uh, as uh, we get through free agency, uh, the draft, of course, uh, where the needs are, um, what the players' appetites are of resigning, if they're willing to, as you say, run it back, or if they want to go test the market and say, well, maybe my my chance is uh, going to be better somewhere else. Uh, and I think the players are also able to rationalize their chances of winning uh, uh, on, a, on a scale that uh, is relative to the amount of money they're being paid uh, by their new team. Uh, so reality kind of gets distorted. 
from their standpoint, they, they justify a lot uh, when money is being thrown at them uh, in terms of leaving a situation like Buffalo where they went 14 and four, including the playoffs. Um, I, I think that the bills were really only beaten twice all season. Uh, the game in week nine against the jets, which inexplicably they just played poorly uh, uh, on offense to the point that they couldn't figure it out. Um, they actually played poorly uh, on defense too, because the Jets really embarrassed the Bills' defense on that game-winning drive late. So even though the Bills didn't give up a lot of points in that game, the way that the Jets just ran on them uh, to victory uh, in the final uh, minutes, I think, obviously puts uh, quite a bit of uh, onus on the defense too. Um, but the game in Miami early with the bills having all of those players injured and the heat situation. And they still almost won that game. Uh, the game against the Minnesota Vikings uh, in which they should have won that game. And one of the flukiest of fluke plays, um, uh, not even by what we witnessed witnessing that play of Josh Allen fumbling in the end zone um but also historically in the sense of how it happened in a quantitative aspect, when you take a look at the last time a defensive touchdown was scored so late in the game to win it and how rare that was, really they were just beaten by the Bengals and the Jets, in my eyes anyway. Um, and you have a coaching staff that the fan base is pretty much done with. Um, it, I, I don't want to say the fan base writ large, but I will say a vocal segment of the fan base um, was worried just three weeks ago that the Bills were going to lose Leslie Frazier to a, another coaching job. Um, please, Leslie, don't go. I mean, you saw a lot of that sentiment uh, on um, on social media. I mean, I can even recall very distinctly uh, uh, just a few days before the Bengals game, Matt Perino of Syracuse.com tweeting out that it's criminal that Leslie Frazier does not have a head coaching job. And you take a look at the comments underneath. People are like, oh, my God, what are we going to do without him? And then as soon as the Bengals game is over, it's please shoot this guy into the sun. We are done with him. And then Ken Dorsey, we can take another anecdotal uh, media interaction. Um, when Jerry Sullivan, the former sports columnist here in town, and it really doesn't have anything to do with why he's former, but in the time, everybody dunking on Jerry Sullivan for daring to take a shot at the king and tell Josh Allen that he didn't see a Super Bowl uh, offense on the field and Josh Allen giving the now viral, okay, that everybody thought was hilarious and what does Jerry Sullivan know? Uh, and now everybody want, well, I don't want to say everybody again. I'm I, I, getting hyperbolic in that, but there are a lot of fans that are saying time to move on from Ken Dorsey. He's not getting it done. And you throw those two together, maybe it's time for Sean McDermott to go, who – a couple weeks earlier was uh, a coach of the year for keeping the team together. This guy's got to be coach of the year. Uh, people were talking about Kyle Shanahan and Brian Dable, and you'd see the the responses on social media. You spelled Sean McDermott's name wrong uh, when talking about coach of the year uh, favorites. And now it's just, and I know it's a, a knee-jerk reaction, but it does get really tiresome when everybody just flips a switch and just throws away every opinion that they've had over a large body of work over one performance uh, in which 
all those things you talked about, Jonah, there's an emotional wall that was there. And I, I believe it. Uh, we talked about it on this podcast. I wrote about it. I thought that the Bills should not have been forced to play in week 18 against the Patriots. Whatever chips had to fall off of that, I'm I'm sorry. But, you know, this is a team that deserved a week off uh, with everything they dealt with and on and off the field and weather-wise, personnel-wise. And um, the only coaching decision that we've seen so far is safeties coach Jim Salgado being let go. Um, and that's an interesting one for me too, because here's a, here's a defensive backfield that was down to its depth of all depth safeties in that game against Cincinnati with Jaquan Johnson on the field. Of course, DeMar Hamlin's not playing in that game. Dean Marlowe, who, uh, was signed uh, during the season gets hurt in that game. Uh, and so you're down to Jaquan Johnson, who's getting hurdled by Halen Hurst, uh, Hayden Hurst, excuse me. Um, Maybe Jim Salgado wasn't getting his guys mentally prepared or he, that was part of it. The, the fact that his job is to get these safeties ready to go and maybe Dean Marlowe missed some assignments and wasn't sure where to line up or excuse me, um, Jaquan Johnson. Um, I, I'm not entirely sure exactly why Jim Salgado of all people was let go uh, and nobody else. Really the only other name I would want to say from my standpoint, maybe Chad Hall the receivers coach Sean McDermott's been pretty pointed in his comments after the season about all the drops. And so was Brandon Bean. I mean, we saw him with our own eyes, but what's going on and getting these guys mentally prepared. I mean, you can only operate the jugs gun so many, so many times, but is there a mental thing going on? What, what is with these receivers and their drops? Um. Anyway, I just said a lot there. I don't know if you have anything to counter with. I mean, I don't, agree with the heads got a roll notion somebody has to be fired just to be accountable for this play Same here loss. i'm just saying not, like a, the chad hall point would just be a tweak as far as i'm concerned receivers coaches are interchangeable jim salgado i mean some teams don't even you know have it broken down so much well, then some teams also have nickel cornerbacks coaches and cornerbacks coaches and safeties coaches uh anyways there's all kinds of different ways to do it so that these are tweaks which yeah, I'm fine. And, I mean, I'm sorry. The receivers coach isn't coaching guys to drop the ball, and the, the safeties coach probably isn't coaching techniques that make them less likely to make tackles. But I do think so. What I think is our external evaluation as fans or media or anybody on Twitter or what you or I could say based on what we saw watching that game, I don't think anything about the Bills' performance says that anybody needs to lose their job or that any changes really need to be made because this team with a little more luck next year back in the same position, I mean, it's not that long ago that they were missing the playoffs every year and it seemed hopeless that the Bills would ever be a championship contender team. Now this is the third year in a row where they're probably a top five team in the NFL. There were a few breaks away from going to the Super Bowl or winning the Super Bowl. They haven't done it yet, but they have the pieces in place and they really didn't underperform more than, as you mentioned, one or two games throughout the whole season. It just so happened that their worst performance came in the last game in the playoffs against a Bengals team that they might have to play in the playoffs again. However, all that being said, if Sean McDermott, who's a football coach, has been a football coach for a long time and is spending all these hours working and probably many, many more hours thinking about things in his own head throughout the season and now in the evaluation process, if he sees specific ways where he thinks a coach wasn't doing the job the best way or maybe there needs to be things done a different way, a different type of scheme, a different style of offense or defense, and he sees 
not so much the coach that needs to go, but the coach that needs to be brought in. If he thinks there's a new right. offensive play caller or a new element to the defense or a new even position coach that does things, I think that some of this happened in different ways with the offensive line a year ago. If he sees an improvement to be made, I could see him making that improvement because he might evaluate that this particular position needs to be better. We need to get some of these young players that haven't developed on the defensive line or another the safeties in some ways. We need to get these guys better in a hurry. But I don't think there's anything that happened between the lines in the games that says certain coach needs to be fired. and Because you don't know who you're bringing in, who's available to bring in and who's better than Leslie Frazier or Ken Dorsey. It's funny with the offensive coordinator because the Bills might have another offensive coordinator already in-house, and I could see Sean McDermott making the determination that he just feels more comfortable with Joe Brady being the offensive coordinator than Ken Dorsey. But I also don't necessarily see that press conference move happening. No, and I also don't think, Jonah, that unless Josh Allen turns on Ken Dorsey that the Bills will move on or switch out of Ken Dorsey because – one of the biggest storylines last offseason, and both Sean McDermott, Brandon Bean were on record as talking about this. They they admitted it. We have to keep Josh Allen happy. And Josh Allen pretty much handpicked Ken Dorsey to be Brian Dable's successor. Is, jo is Josh Allen going to say, you know what, I was wrong after one season? And Josh Allen was pretty clear in his thoughts on Ken Dorsey in that postseason uh, news conference. But um, I think that the bills would be, I think it would show a crack in the trust or the, you know, that whole, let's keep Josh happy, um, dynamic. If they were to switch off of Ken Dorsey, even if it's to Joe Brady on the staff, I, I think that it's going to take Josh Allen saying, I'm ready for a change for that to happen. That's just my belief, uh, because not only, um, because I think it makes sense as somebody who's covered sports for 30 years and knows how people think and all these, you know, do you want to upset Josh Allen just after a year of talking about how important it is to keep him happy um, by switching out his coordinator of choice? And do you want him going well, into games on a weekly basis thinking, you know, I don't know. I think we're better with Dorse or I was happy with Dor this was fine. And, and look, Let's also point out, just for the record in this conversation, they were second in the NFL in scoring. They were scoring, and I think it was 28 point whatever, uh, but you take out a few of the games. Um, they seem to be scoring 30 to 35 points at will on good teams on a weekly basis. Um, they didn't, from a statistical standpoint, drop off from Brian Dable. Now, maybe they did from an aesthetic or some of the the jet sweeps and the fun stuff that that Dorsey used to do and some plays maybe got too repetitive uh, in our minds, but they scored with the exception of two games. Right, which is why I don't think there's going to be a change made because I think, you know, a level-headed evaluation a few weeks removed from the season will find that the offense did pretty well. And if this is the offense, Josh Allen's comfortable running and comfortable coming into a second year because it was a little bit of a new offense and maybe there was some, even though they didn't struggle that much, if there were any perceived struggles, maybe there was a learning curve element with some of these things, a new offensive line coach and, and some of the things that were different from year to year already. Maybe you want to run that back and see if it's just better in year two. But, however, I wouldn't, you know, Josh Allen isn't married to Ken Dorsey. He advocated for him to be the offense coordinator last year and supported him. But he Josh might Allen's not married. True. 
But I mean, he's and not even career wise. It's not like he goes way, way back with Ken Dorsey and this is his childhood friend. So he could maybe be come to his own conclusion or be convinced that, hey, the offense lost a little something from Dable to Dorsey. And we think there's a move that could be made to get back to just the good vibes and the good feeling and moving the ball where we were in the postseason a year ago, as opposed to where the Bills are this year. I'm not so sure that, you know, we say Josh Allen's a big Ken Dorsey supporter. Is Stefan Diggs as big of a Ken Dorsey supporter? And if Stefan Diggs agitates for some sort of change in the offensive philosophy or play calling or distribution of the ball, does that, is that a dynamic that needs to be responded to? Josh Allen pulled out of the uh, Pro Bowl and uh, Tyler Huntley uh, is replacing him. So I want to ask you what the most egregious, uh, the more egregious uh, all-star game decision is. Tyler Huntley in the Pro Bowl or Rasmus Dahlin not in the NHL all-star game? All right. So I have to parse the language here because Tyler Huntley is a decision by the NFL to add him to the roster. And actually, I don't really want to slight Tyler Huntley. Maybe if you look at the stats and the performance, he is the next man up. I think it goes to show a little bit of the. But it's not an NFL football. decision. It's not an. He was voted. He's next in line. He was okay. voted at. It was so. It's not as though the the NFL is handpicking Tyler Huntley. He was the next in line based off of the the balloting by the fans, the coaches, the GMs. By you know, so this wasn't a. Zemgis Gergensen's or uh, Rory Fitzpatrick uh, stuffing of the ballot box as a joke. Yeah, I mean, it defeats the purpose of calling this an all-star game when certain players who are not even close to being star players are invited to participate in any kind of showcase of the best football skills. And when between the injuries and the Super Bowl and, you know, the teams that lose in the AFC, NFC championship games tend to not always go to the Pro Bowl or participate in the Pro Bowl, and some players choose to play golf instead. When that's happening, it kind of shows how ridiculous it is that this event and being a Pro Bowler is really has as much esteem as it seems to have when these teams are announced for the first time in Week 16 or whatever that is. As far as Rasmus Dahlin in the NHL All Star, let me game, just it, let me just mention also for the sake I, I I did a maybe a poor job of setting this up, but I also just want to point out Rasmus Dahlin, who you're about to talk about, um, will be in the Norris Trophy discussion. I don't know if he's going to win it. But he will be uh, high in the voting. I'm I that is my prediction. Yeah, unless he gets hurt or something like that. I mean, Rasmus Dahlin is one of the best defensemen in the NHL right now and has been all season. Uh, Tyler Huntley played six games. He started four. This is the regular season, which is what the Pro Bowl is based off of. It's not based off the postseason. But he played six games, started four, and had a seventy-seven point two passer rating. And didn't do a ton rushing. So his QBR, I'm not sure what his QBR is, but 77.2 passer rating, and he's a pro bowler. Uh, Rasmus Dahlin. So I know we're comparing apples and oranges, different system, but for the sake of discussion on a podcast, which is more egregious, that that Dahlin is out or that Huntley is in? Well, I don't even know how to answer because they're like, Equally egregious on polar opposites, too. Right. One, exactly. Maybe undeserving player getting in and a deserving player not making yes. it. I mean, I would say, because they're both the same, but like Tyler Huntley just is, is not a Pro Bowl quarterback. So, yes, that's 
that's egregious. And with Rasmus Dahlin, in any sport, and especially I notice this every year in basketball, there are more all-star caliber players than there are all-star spots. It's probably the case with every sport except the Pro Bowl is somehow 180 degrees flipped on this. But whether it's well, it's because people with, withdraw and you end up with the right, so. the watered down version because sure. people don't play. They choose not to play. They choose to go to Pebble Beach to golf or to Tahoe or wherever Josh Allen's going. Um, and you also have the championship teams removed from the equation. So that also waters down. So the team, the players, the best players from the best two teams are out. Whereas everything else, all the other all-star games are played in season. And as you mentioned to me, uh, before we hit the record button, uh, if you pull out of those games, just because you get a fine, I mean, a big one, whereas the NFL seems to let you get away with it. Right. So there's something in the way the NFL organizes and promotes the pro bowl that makes it far less important than any other all-star game and leads to these goofy roster situations and just not having enough players. Like, Maybe it should be a smaller Pro Bowl roster to account for the number of players that aren't going to claim their spots. However, so that aside, getting into the NHL, or if you want to talk about this, the ML, NBA or MLB, if you don't make the All-Star game, you know, there are 24 spots in the NBA, and I guess, what is it in the NHL, 32, I think, 36 maybe, um, you know, then you're a borderline all-star. Sidney Crosby makes the all-star game. The top 10, 12, 15 players, the true stars of the game, and that's what all-star games are supposed to be, is to showcase the best talent and the best players on the biggest stage, and what would it be like if one game had the 10 best players in the world on the ice together, on the floor together. The Pro Bowl does not accomplish that, which is probably why people don't care about it. Now, the NHL all-star game is evolved into not being a real game and it's more of a it's a three-on-three tournament and it's a skills competition and it should have the biggest stars and so where i'm going is look rasmus dalin deserves to be an all-star if you're picking all-star rosters or um you know all pro rosters in, in a different sport as one of the six or eight best defensemen in the game that belong to get this recognition. But if the all-star game is about who the fans want to see and the skills and voting for players, the way the system's set up with the divisions and allowing fans to vote for forwards against defensemen and so on and so forth, I don't think it's that egregious that Rasmus Dahlin happened to not get voted into the all-star game. It's a function of the system. If it was an NBA type system where the coaches pick the reserves, then he probably does make it, but that's not how this game is put together. And you know, Rasmus Dalin's having a great season. He's going to set probably a Sabres record for points by a defenseman, but he has less points than the forwards that are in the game. And if this is an offensive game and a skills competition, although he's probably skilled enough to be in that, I mean, I don't think it's that outlandish that somehow he slipped through the cracks. Yeah, I, I, as a point of order, too, um, unlike the other major sports, the NHL does not consider you an all-star just by having been selected for the game or playing in it the game is an exhibition the nhl votes for all-stars at the end of the season like it does the heart the vezina the selkie the lady bing those those all-star spots are selected afterward so when you talk about so and so and how many times they were an all-star it's not the number of times they were they were they played in the game it's a select team of starters and there's a second team and then that's it and it's for the entire league so that is a really prestigious list to get on 
Um, and when you hear of somebody being a four-time NHL All-Star, that's heavy duty, uh, as opposed to somebody who was a four-time Pro Bowler or a four-time Major League All-Star. Um, the NHL All-Star designation has gravitas to it, unlike the game, as we just talked about. And it's always kind of been that way, um, even before they went to this bastardized uh, setup. It'll be interesting to see what this NFL thing is uh, is like this week. Um, let's stay on the Sabres, uh, Jonah. Um, well, let me make one more quick all-star. Yeah, comment, yeah, sure. Um, if I can remember it. Well, as to wrap up what you said, if Rasmus Alin's a finalist for the Norris trophy or makes the postseason all-star game, or even kind of a hockey news, all NHL type team, that means a lot more than whether he happened to make his way into this showcase television event. Yeah. So I just all-star said. games. Right, right, right. But what I also want to say is just, to compare it to the NBA, because often what happens in the NBA, what happens in the NBA, the fans pick the starters, and then the coaches pick the reserves, and it very much aligns with the standings. A team that's in first place, second place, so on, deserves their second all-star, their third all-star, and teams that are outside of the playoffs don't always get a second all-star in, or maybe even a first all-star. Are the Sabres a team that deserves two all-stars? I think Buffalo fans think, yeah, yes, that's a great one, that, but I don't know if they do. Yeah, you get that with um, like all tournament teams in the NCAA. The team that wins it is getting two spots, you know, no matter what. The team that wins it is not is get that's like the bonus of having won it all. There's like this unspoken thing with these these teams. I would like to see though what like the NBA does, and this is just a minor minor point, but the NBA has their selections at the end of the season. It's called the All NBA Team. I think to avoid some confusion, I would like to see an all NHL team instead of just all stars at the end. So that way we're not getting confused with who who's an all star in February versus uh, who's an all star in uh, April uh, or for the season. In the interest of transparency, when I was repeating exactly what you said and, and saying the same thing, it was me trying to come up with my NBA thought in my head that it somehow escaped and I was trying to talk my way through it. <laughs> and it worked. So apologies to the listeners that had to hear that. That's all right. That's all right. Um, so let's stay on the Sabres. Uh, they are uh, heading into tomorrow night's game in position to bust into. I don't even want to say bust into because they it's been coming for a while. They're about ready to take that final step of getting into that playoff picture um, scenario. Uh, you cover these guys at home. I think only two home games this this month is that right because of the break i think it's four in the month or two but they were on the road they had they had a four-game homestand and then they, well, they play care they're playing carolina tomorrow night oh you're talking this month coming up well yeah yeah this month coming up. up i think yeah, it's yeah. a weird schedule i don't have it in front of me but anyways um a chance for the fans to show out let's see if western new york's fans can match bill's elvis uh and his energy and uh, get out to the arena and support their team against a really good opponent uh, when there aren't a lot of home games coming up. So this could be a perfect storm of attendance uh, at KeyBank Center. So anyway, Jonah, just your thoughts on these Sabres being in the playoff hunt, uh, not just as a talking point or a notion, but now here they are mathematically or within that window of if the season ended today, the Sabres are in conversation. Right. If they win this game against Carolina on Wednesday night, they'll be in the playoffs in the eighth spot by virtue of points. They're already the eighth team by virtue of points percentage. Um, and, you know, if you with the games in hand, maybe they 
they make the playoffs in that scenario without this win against Carolina. But one way or the other, you can say the Sabres are right on the verge of being a playoff team right now and maybe are a playoff team if the season ended today. And that's, remember, I mean, I, I still think that was the goal of the season, was to be a competitive team that's playing meaningful hockey in the last month of the season and contending for the playoffs. It wasn't necessarily a playoffs or bust, end the drought, or everybody, you know, loses their jobs and they go back to the drawing board. It's not where this franchise is right now, even though in an NHL record playoff drought, you would think there would be a little more urgency. But even around the building, I think they, they're a confident team that thinks they can make a playoff push, but there isn't much talk about needing to be a playoff team and needing to make moves and uh, secure – you don't hear about how we let points slip away or things like that. It's a lot more about playing well and developing and less about, you know, the standings and the points. That said, I mean, in order to be a team that contends for the playoff spot, you kind of have to be in this position at this point in the season. If they were six, eight points out of the playoffs, you know, it wouldn't be that long before you start to squint and look at it and don't think they can make the playoffs. They're not necessarily, even though they're in playoff position with one more win by, you know, the math of it today, it's a five-team race for two playoff spots that includes the Pittsburgh Penguins and the Washington Capitals, two, you know, veteran-led teams that have been to the playoffs and won Stanley Cups before, and the Florida Panthers that were the President's Cup trophy team last year, and the New York Islanders have just made a big trade for Bo Horvat. So this is a very competitive race for the Sabres, and they're one of five teams going for about two spots in the playoffs. So... You know, we could look at all different sites have a lot of different odds on whether the Sabres are going to make the playoffs and their percentages and their chances. It seems like they're somewhere between about, you know, 30 and 50 percent chance, which is pretty good odds and a lot better than any Sabres team over the past 11, 12 years. So to be a team that coming down the stretch has something to play for is a win in and of itself, even if it doesn't end up with a playoff trip for this team. All great points. All great points. I think that this is what Sabres fans were really hoping for is relevancy late in the season. And I think that, um, you know, it was interesting. Uh, John Vogel, uh, one of the last things he did before he moved off of the Sabres beat uh, and uh, joined our editorial staff at The Athletic, you know, gauging, you know, the uh, maybe it wasn't one of the last things. I don't know, but I'm remembering his fan poll in which the fans themselves weren't too optimistic. They just they were they were thinking that this was another building block season and they were OK with that. Uh, so to have it be a building block season plus fun, plus relevant, plus showing improvement, plus long, you know, long term stuff, because the young players are in increasingly significant roles. Uh, these are guys that you expect to be on the team four or five, six years from now. So they're doing well here and now at this moment. So, uh, yeah, I think it is, like you say, a win, win, win all over. Um, I'm interested. Uh, and I don't know if the Bo Horvat move really does anything, uh, about this, but with the, um, with the success of the team and 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 being within arm's length or with being being able to touch the playoffs um if this nudges the sabers towards becoming buyers at the trade deadline you don't have to be massive buyers but um i think a couple of months ago um the the answer to that question would be different than it is for kevin adams right now 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the more they win, the more it puts pressure on them to capitalize and make a move to either actually make the playoffs or even just feed the perception that they're trying to make the playoffs. I think that's important for attendance and, and keeping the fans interested that this team is, did make a move. They did invest a little something. In try, it's similar to, I'm trying to think what it was, but there's a move, I think it was Kelvin Benjamin, a move the Bills made a few years back that they probably wouldn't have made if the season went how they thought it was going to go, but they were in the playoff hunt to end that drought in the first year. So they made the trade for Kelvin Benjamin. It was almost for the fans as much as it was for the team. And I do think the Sabres are at that point, unless they go on a quick losing streak here to where they should do something like that. I don't anticipate a major move where they give up a lot of picks or a lot of prospects or disrupt the development organizational flow chart that they currently have. Um, but they have, you know, they have Eric Portillo. They're probably not going to get a lot for him, but that's a little chip they can throw in to sweeten some things. They have some extra picks and maybe one too many prospects in certain ways where they, they can be buyers and not have to give up really anybody that's in the current top lines or top defensive pairs. It's just a question of who they can get for that price and whether that will make a difference. But I think if they can make a trade that maybe doesn't make a difference, but seems like it makes a difference is really what this team needs right now. Cause to your point on the attendance, they're five and two this year when the building has been counted at 17,000 or above, they sold out the past two games. They won the past two games. Uh, I don't know if they're going to go on a sellout streak here, but if they get closer and closer to selling out one out of every two games or having bigger and bigger crowds as the season gets closer to the end, you know, they're probably going to play better and it's going to make it end on a good note because I do think it's important for this team to end with a good feeling about how this season went, whether they make the playoffs or not. If they're in playoff position and lose four or five at the end to fall out of it, that's going to be a little bit of a cloud that hangs over the summer. So I think a strong finish is important regardless of where the Sabres end up with that finish. Yeah, that's, that's for sure. Um, Jonah, before we wrap up any, any big four basketball thoughts or do you want to save them for the next Friday night, which, you know, some people enjoy that rivalry. And and if you are a Kenesha Niagara fan, those are always the most intense and exciting atmospheres to watch either of those teams when they play each other. Uh, It'll be up in Niagara. 8 o'clock on Friday, and the Niagara women are really hot. They won seven in a row and nine and two in the MAC for the first time ever, and they struggled to a one-and-eight start, but now they're looking like the team that many of us that follow this thought. Um, you know, if any team of the big four, men or women, had a chance to make a run this year, they were probably the best one, and that's kind of how it's settling out. All right. Well, Jonah, thanks for this. Um, we'll maybe try to do one again at the end of the week. We've been a little lax. We've been trying to keep our heads above water here after this bill season, but um, we're settling in. Right. We can preview that big Bandits first place showdown with the Rochester Nighthawks, two PSG sure. owned teams on Saturday night at the Key Bank Center. Yeah. Yeah. Which would conflict television wise with the NHL All Star game. Yeah. Bad programming decision there um, by the NHL. Actually not, because it's an afternoon game. So you can watch oh, the NHL All-Star right. game and then get down to the arena and watch the Buffalo Bandits and the Rochester Nighthawks play for first place in the East Division. Jonah Bronstein, thanks for this. And thanks to everyone out there for tuning in when you do. Do you tune into a podcast? I guess you do. It's a generic enough phrase. Sure. It's not like it's a dial that you're you know, finding the frequency on a radio. But uh, thanks to everybody out there for 
checking out Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK on your platform of choice. Uh, I don't mention this nearly enough, and I should. Please, uh, if you are a, a listener and or viewer and you like what you see and hear, uh, subscribe, please, and uh, give us a rating. Let us know what you think. Tell us we suck if we suck. Uh, if not, uh, give us uh, give us as many stars as you feel comfortable. Um, it's been a few years that we've been doing this, and I think we're doing all right. Thanks yeah. for coming along on the ride, uh, Jonah. Radar backgrounds, do people still do that? Yeah, I think that, well, that site, I, I've never been graded. I think I'd have an interesting grade. I'd probably get, I probably would not get a nice grade, but I think they would have a lot to say. I think they would maybe be intrigued. Uh, Yours the is trophy than mine, is weird. I could rearrange a little bit. You have a fantastic background with the tree, and um, there's a computer element there, so it's a desk. So you're clear; it's clearly where you work. People can't tell really. The right behind me is my desk, but my my shoulders take it up. You can't really see that. The, I just pivot this, and I'm at my desk. Um, so anyway, you you have your workspace right there in the shot, and I think that that adds a element of of uh of realism. realism i think it yeah it takes the it takes the viewer right into your living room but how about this fake tree that's not there i only put it there for the background sake that kind of that's a little bit of absurdism it is if you actually stop and try to examine it you would wonder why you keep that tree mm -hmm. there but we have talked about it on the podcast before that it blocks the view into your kitchen is that right yep, yep. and but it looks it's a great spot it looks, it, it, you have to think about it though, really to, you don't, it's there, you don't notice it, even though it's there and very prominent. It's part of the, uh, the aesthetic that I think right. is, is fantastic. Whereas every time I flip this on with somebody new, when I do a zoom call, maybe not for the podcast, uh, somebody always has to make a crack about my trophy back there. And I have to tell them that, uh, I'm very proud of my fantasy football trophy that weighs 40 pounds or whatever. Really, it's there to take up space very early in this podcast, as you know. I'm just saying it for those who maybe aren't familiar. That trophy was back there just to take up white space uh, when I had my basement uh, redone, and it just kind of stuck. Like, well, I guess I could hang a picture there or something. Uh, eventually, that's what I should do, but it's become. I mean, a it looks good. You just need it's a, a shelf. I put things on here. These are my my notepads are here as I'm done with them. You know, this is my. Uh, my Hashik notebook um, from when I did the story. So it is here and on the stack if I ever need to go back and Wait, check something. How often do you um, only do you need an entire notebook for one story? Not for one story. No, no, there's other stuff in here, but I, no, never, never. There is, no, there's Bill's game in here. There is um, an interesting, um, it, in fact, this notebook, let's, let's, Let's take a walk down the notebook lane here. Notebook down. Yeah, let's see what happens. So uh, the very first, I'll be cryptic here because this story has not been written yet, but it's been reported quite a bit. Um, and Jonah's familiar with it. But this is a story about a local broadcaster uh, who has done some strange things in his life. <laughs> and, um, it, and this has some... Um, uh, phone numbers and email addresses of associates and um, police officers 
and uh, things like that. So that's first. And then this is the Bills game. Oh, the Chiefs game. This is, you know, this is my play-by-play of the Chiefs game, you know, uh, quarter one, doing some, you know, big plays in the game throughout the Chiefs. Let's see. Spencer Brown went down with the right ankle injury, 727 left in the second quarter. Oh, Josh Allen, seven straight incomplete, eight straight incomplete passes. Uh, Okay, so those are my notes. Uh, and then my interview notes afterwards of Von Miller drinking his um, Labatt Blue Light in the locker room, which a lot of that that was a viral tweet when I when I wrote about that. Um, what we got here? The Packers game. Devin Singletary uh, is warming up, according to Tim Graham, in this. Uh, Sauce Gardner doing something in the Jets game. And then uh, towards the back, we have uh, Dominic Hasek at his appearance at Dave and Adams back in November, uh, in which I interviewed some fans and interviewed Hasek himself. Yeah, so that's it. And then what happens is I got some Buffalo kickoff live stuff in here. And then I need to, oh, Rasmus Dahlin, when I did the feature on Rasmus Dahlin, that's in here. The notes, Kyle Akposo interview, um, Craig Anderson. So, yeah, there's a lot in here. Um, Ooh, some notes. The Sabres who've won the Norris or how close they've come. Jim Schoenfeld was third in voting in 79-80. Do you think Rasmus Dahlin can get higher than third in the Norris voting? I mean, I certainly think he has a chance for second. First might be Eric Carlson, but I think if the voting was done today, I think Rasmus Dahlin has maybe a case for second or third. Robinson and Salming uh, finished first and second that year. Housley was fifth twice with Buffalo. That's the highest he got while a Sabre, but he was third with the Winnipeg Jets once. Is that a little um, bit tied to what we talked about before? Like the Sabres need to win enough games for these kind of things to happen. That's true. Voting. That's true. Um, anyway, so that's, what's in a notepad. And then at some point, because I've moved on from this notepad, but I haven't written the story, I need to write something on here so I can quickly grab this notepad. When I, when I rifle through these notepads, I can quickly grab the one that has Hashik in it. It reminds me. Which didn't get written until recently. I did the interviews in November, but I didn't write it until recently. You came and spoke to my class at Madai University and some of them were taking notes and you were like, Hey guys, you don't need to take notes. This isn't that serious. And I said, well, I told them that they have to use the notebook as a prop to look like good listeners and pretend they're taking notes. Was that a class suggestion or a professional suggestion? It's a little bit of both. And a little bit was it like, Hey, you know, you should be taking notes. So even if you're not going to do it, pretend and maybe you'll accidentally learn something. But I also believe in that. I mean, I've heard other reporters say it and I've done it a little bit myself that it's sort of part of, the interview etiquette and kind of way you carry yourself. And even if you don't write down everything that's said, if you jot down a little bit, I think it helps with the structure of the interview and looks like a more serious inquiry. And, and but it, very it depends. Rarely, nobody brings notebooks into the locker room anymore. I shouldn't say nobody, but you don't see a lot of people taking notes during major press conferences and scrums and things like that. Like 
I, I think I can tell this story because it was just uh, <clears throat> it was an interaction that I had with Don Granado while writing uh, the Rasmus Dahlin story. This notepad was in my back pocket uh, when this happened, but I'm standing there with my coffee and Nicole Hendricks, who is uh, the um, I don't want to mess up her title, but she's the PR executive with the uh, with the Buffalo Sabres. And because I'm not out there a ton and what a good PR person will do is make sure to introduce or say, Hey, Tim's out here to do a story on X because a coach sometimes sees a, a, an unfamiliar face or an uncommon face and what is wondering, why is this person here? And a good PR person kind of help. That's how they help prep their, their people. And um, so Don Granado and I eventually were out there in the hallway outside the locker room and my notepad is put away because I'm not interviewing him at this point. And we're just talking and we're talking about different things that Darlene does well, things that he's really excited about Darlene doing like delivering reverse hits uh, that Darlene wasn't doing when he was younger and scrawnier. And now he's actually delivering some punishment uh, when people think they can come in and check him off the puck. He's actually, you know, little, you know, some good nuanced discussion. And we end up, having a pretty loose and casual conversation about this, that, and the other. Um, and uh, I'm just standing there, you know, one hand in a pocket and the other one with my coffee. And uh, so he leaves and, hey, thanks for coming out. And I appreciate seeing you out here. And I'm, you know, see you out here some more. And he takes a few steps away and I'm waiting for Kyle Oposo. Um, So I'm still, I, I stand put, he walks away maybe 10 steps and he turns around and starts walking back towards me pretty briskly. And he says, I got to keep an eye. I got to be careful with you. And I was like, well, what do you mean by that? He's like, you come in here looking like you're getting ready to leave and go fishing. You're here with your coffee. And his whole thing was, I think I've said too much, uh, was kind of his point. He's laughing about it, but uh, that was no notepad. So I think maybe there is uh, the notepad, like the camera, which we've talked about on this podcast before with people who are in television. I think Matt Beauvais, uh, we had a discussion with him uh, about when you have that camera on your shoulder, it's a big barrier that people don't open up to TV people as much as they might to print reporters because we have only the notebook and the little recorder. But take away that notepad and the little recorder, and sometimes it gets even more casual. The problem is being accurate with quoting or, and you don't also want to be devious. I would never say, and which is what I told Don Granado. I was like, we were, we were just talking. I, that wasn't part of the interview. If I don't have the recorder and the notepad out, yeah. you're not being interviewed. But anyway, I just thought that was an interesting thing that at 51 years old, like I am now, I didn't, that was something that I learned that day is that maybe the notepad in the back pocket helps you out a little. Yeah, and even with the notebook, sometimes the closing of the notebook and putting it in your pocket is a bit oh, of a that is a good that, trick. Like, that is a good trick. Really that talk. means we're done. I yeah. mean, that is an unspoken thing that we're done. But sometimes the guy keeps going and he says something that maybe you don't quote, but it's information, uh, and not anything scandalous. But they may actually say something about a play earlier in the game, or they let their guard down a little bit, and it gives you a, another thread to pull on. Mm -hmm. Another just real thing, this really only happens at high school games, but sometimes this is a press pass. You just walk through holding this thing, and people know you're a reporter, and you get to go. You use the same brand that I do? It looks you like it. I mean, Office Depot is where I bought this pack of notebooks. Yeah. Office Max doesn't sell this style of notepad. So um, 
if you work at a place where you have an office like the Buffalo News, you go to a, a cabinet and pull out a stack of these and they're bought, you know, but you for us, we don't have an office. Well, you have an office to go to now. Yep. But I don't have an office to go to. I work at home. So I have to buy my notepads at Office Depot. So I'm glad to see that you also get your Office Depot brand notepads because that makes me feel like I'm doing it right. Well, sometimes I use these little mini pocket size notebooks because they fit in pockets. Hmm. The yellow legal pad I prefer at the desk. But okay. the ability to stick this in your back pocket is valuable. All right, Jonah, that's enough. <laughs> thank you for this. Uh, and thank you again out there for uh, listening and, and watching Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and Business Consultants. CTBK is more than just a full-service accounting firm. They are one team with an innovative approach that takes on each new challenge with collaborative problem-solving skills to provide creative solutions for their clients. Based right here in Western New York, CTBK is a champion for your business and our community. Additionally, CTBK goes beyond tax and attest services by offering a wide array of consulting and outsourced solutions tailored to meet the unique needs of your business, allowing you to focus on your operational and long-term strategic goals. Whether you're a large corporation, a small business, or somewhere in between, the team at CTBK is determined to help you succeed. Visit ctbk.com or call 716-630-2400, 716-630-2400 to learn how CTBK's one-team approach can work for you.